Well, church, if there's one thing that's become obvious to me during this season in the church and in the world, uh, it's that uh, lots of people are in lots of different places. Uh, some people are in places of fear. Some people are in places of peace. Uh, some people are overwhelmed <clears throat> and emotionally just afraid. Uh, and others are carrying on their lives much as they always have. Their jobs have continued, maybe even working harder than ever. So some are unemployed, some are making quadruple their salary because of extra hours and overtime. So we're all in different places. And I would like to open God's Word together and dig into His Word a little bit, but I recognize that might not be where everyone is at. And so it reminded me of this concept of spiritual disciplines. And this is a book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline and goes through different spiritual disciplines, practices that Christians can do uh, to help them grow in their faith and draw closer to God. And study is certainly one of those spiritual disciplines, things we do to, to draw deeper in the Word, deeper in the Spirit, deeper and closer to the Father. But also there are others like solitude and simplicity, and, and especially meditation. I've been thinking more and more about meditation lately, and if digging into a, a scripture study is not where you're at mentally right now or emotionally, you don't need one more thing to deep dive into, then perhaps a time of meditation every morning or every evening where you just take a simple statement from the Bible and think about that one thing and focus and center. That might be actually exactly what you need in a way that you could draw closer to God. Um, but I encourage you to pursue fellowship with people, even if it's just over the phone or online. Um, pursue times of prayer, casting your cares upon God because he cares for us. Um, reading God's word, and it doesn't have to be a deep dive. It can just be read a psalm. Read Psalm 1 and think about being a tree planted by streams of water. Um, but for those who uh, would be equipped, for those who would be nourished, for those who would be strengthened by getting something to chew on from God's Word, I want to be able to encourage us and equip us and uh, help us to pursue that discipline as well. And so that is my hope this morning. The word that's been passed around uh, in the media a lot lately is unprecedented. These unprecedented times, this unprecedented illness. And there are many things that are kind of unique about this time, but as I thought about that word more and more, it started to feel like, well, I look back over history and for God's people anyway, maybe not globally and maybe not for governments or certain things, but for God's people, we've been scattered many, many, many times, going from places where God's people were all together and then scattered out into the world. And so if our present time is a form of scattering, a form of isolation, a form of dispersing instead of coming together, then actually the Bible has lots to say about what that was like for God's people in the past. And Paul wrote to the earliest Christians in Rome, in Romans 15:4 that everything that's been written down in the past was written down to instruct us so that through endurance and encouragement we might have hope. So I want us to have endurance and to just plow through and be carried through, you know, sing our way through this crisis with God as our shepherd. Um, I want us to be encouraged that God is with us, to see how he's done these sorts of things in the past and to have hope then that he'll lead us through it in the same sorts of ways. So. I thought of the scattering of God's people, and I thought of four main scatterings that I see in Scripture. And I wanted to read just a little bit from what's been written down about them, <clears throat> and then maybe encourage us to think about how it might apply to us. It's like God's Word. You know, we don't live by bread alone. 
we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that his word might be something to nourish us and give us strength. So that's my hope. The four scatterings that I uh, thought of were the scattering from Eden. Adam and Eve and God are together. They're in close, intimate relationship and presence, proximity, and then sin scattered out into the world, out of Eden. The second one that I thought of was uh, from Egypt. All the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes are together. They're living in the land of Goshen within Egypt, you know, but they're, they're slaves there. And so God takes them and he scatters them out into the wilderness. He takes them from where they are together and he sends them out to a new place to do a new thing. Um, so the scattering of the exile, or no, the scattering of God's deliverance, the exodus. The third one is the scattering of exile. And that's when you have the whole nation of Israel living in the kingdom. You know, you've got Saul, then David, then Solomon, they're together. And then sin, <clears throat> they're overthrown by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and they're scattered into the exile. And then there's God's people here, 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 and everywhere, but they're not together. Another major scattering in scripture. And the fourth one that came to my mind was just Jesus and his apostles. You're together, you're with Jesus, you're seeing him do miracles and this. He, he, he dies, he rises, he's with them, but then he leaves them and scatters them out into the world. He sends them out. So these four scatterings happened for different reasons. They had different implications. And I think there's different lessons that we could learn from each of them. But I wanted to take just a minute and look at each of these four major scatterings. Scattering as banishment. Scattering as deliverance, uh, scattering as uh, exile, consequence, uh, scattering as mission, as calling. And I hope it'll be encouragement to you uh, as it has been to me. So the first one is scattered from Eden. We go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Uh, and I want to read just a few verses to remind us of what the writers recorded, which has been written down for our instruction, so that through endurance and encouragement, we might have hope. I hope that we find hope in these scriptures. So Genesis 3, I think if we start with verse 8, that, that'll work. Uh, this is one of my favorite scriptures about the proximity to God, the beauty of just being calmly in his presence. It describes Adam and Eve with God in Eden. They're all together still. The scattering's about to happen. Genesis 3, 8. And they, the man and the woman, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and so I ate. And so then God he, he proceeds to give them curses according to their rebellion, wanting to be like God, wanting to defy God. But ultimately, God says, you can't defy me and try to set yourself up as my equal and also then just continue to live to forever and be blessed by me. And so there's a separation here. And this is the casting out. So it's the end of chapter 3 in Genesis, uh, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they were taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
So we have this wonderful walking in the garden in the cool of the day kind of intimacy with the Lord, and they're scattered. Why were they scattered? Because of sin. But this scattering is actually a severing. It, it's separation. It's a banishment. This is not, okay, well, we're still united, but you'll be over there and I'll be over here. This is, we are no longer together. We are no longer one. It's a cutting off of people from God. This is the beginning of sin for all of us. It's what we all inherit when we're born. Original sin. This is why Jesus needed to die on the cross because he needed to create a bridge that's possible to cross this chasm. So this sort of scattering is a banishment. It's a separation. So what can we take from this? Well, I think the first thing that we can take from this is that they took for granted their closeness with God. That ability to walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day, they just took that for granted. And they said, we can do this and this and this. It's not going to have ramifications on this intimacy with God. They didn't think their sin would separate them from God. They didn't understand what that meant until they really understood what that meant and experienced it. Don't we sometimes take closeness with God for granted? Uh, how about fellowship within the church? If that's what we're scattered from now, don't we... Can't we look back and say, I really took for granted the ability in the Western church to just gather on Sundays and sing and give hugs, all those things. They just seemed easy and normal and expected as if I deserved them. Well, if those things are taken away, we can see how beautiful they were. And God always provides a way back. But that separation for Adam and Eve was absolute. So we can take from it just a reminder not to take things for granted. But the second thing we can take from it is also uh, the reminder that we can never, after Christ's sacrifice, we can never be cut off from God in that way, we who believe. We, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So there's no sin we can commit that will make us be banished from God's presence. There is uh, nothing that we can do if we believe in God, if we put our trust in the blood of Christ, there's nothing we can do to be separate or cut off from him. So we may be scattered around the world, but we're still with God. So what we can take from that is the encouragement that no matter how far we are separated from each other, we don't have to experience the depth of separation, of lostness that Adam and Eve did in that moment. We are not apart from God. God is with you wherever you are and with me wherever I am as long as we believe. So we can take encouragement from that. But we also should be mindful of the fact that for all those who don't believe, this separation is still in effect. Without the blood of Christ, without faith in Christ, there is no salvation. And so the wages of sin is death. That still stands true. That's Romans 3.23. 24 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord. That still stands true. But can we stop for a moment, we who may be believers, who are looking to learn from God's word and be comforted by God's presence, can we just remember that for those who are still cut off from him, who don't know him, who don't love him, who have not been redeemed, who have not been restored because they haven't trusted in Christ, we can look at that scattering and remember that there are those who are still scattered. We need to love them with the kind of compassionate, pursuing love that God had for Adam and Eve, where he had a plan for their descendant, long in the future, Jesus, to come and make a bridge back. So I think the scattering of Eden out can teach us a lot of things about taking things for granted, about being reminded about our permanence in God's presence now because of Christ, and also a compassion and empathy for those that still feel and are separated. So there's the scattering 
from Eden. The second scattering is out of Egypt. So we move over to the book of Exodus for that. And Exodus chapter 2 gives us a passage we can read to bring ourselves into that moment in time. This is a scattering uh, not of punishment, but actually of promise. This is a scattering not of banishment, but a scattering of deliverance. They're being delivered. So this scattering does not happen because of Israel's sin. This scattering actually happens because of their faith. By faith, they painted the blood on their doorposts. By faith, they followed Moses out. By faith in what God had told him, they stood at the Red Sea and then they walked through with the water on either side. By faith, they went out into the wilderness. By faith, they worshiped at Sinai. So were there setbacks and were there grumblings and problems all along the way? Yes, but it was their faith that carried them through. And so this scattering was not a punishment. This scattering was God's deliverance. And um, Exodus 2, if we start at the end of it, Uh, It describes God seeing them and knowing them. So let's start in chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, while the nation of Israel is in Egypt, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the 12 tribes, they're in Egypt. Uh, During those many days there, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Before we even go any further, that's something to meditate on. God sees them, and he knows. doesn't matter if we're alone in our room, if we're in our homes, if we're scattered, if we're alone walking in the fields, if we can't gather, God sees us, and he knows, and he responds. May we be encouraged. Those words are just as true today for us as they were for them. So enter Moses, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you are, on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. If we skip down to uh, verse 17, God says, And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. To the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So you see, this scattering 
is God saying, where you are is not good. Now, if you remember, the people of God came into Egypt, and that was a blessing to get there because there was a famine in the land. Through Joseph, the 12 brothers, which then the 12 tribes came. So coming into Egypt was God's deliverance as well. But they weren't meant to stay in Egypt. God had future plans. So God is delivering them out of this place which has become slavery to them. Um, but they didn't necessarily all want to go at first. And even along the way, didn't they keep complaining? Oh, I, I wish we could go back because in Egypt we had the things that we needed. And yeah, we were slaves, but we had melons and the, the comforts. Egypt became a comfort zone for the people of God. It was slavery. They were bound, but they were also stuck and were willing to forego the better to stay where it was safe. So God's deliverance is not just a deliverance out of slavery for his people here. It's actually a deliverance out of complacency. I think there's a great lesson that the Christian church can learn right now, too. We can become complacent in our ways of doing things and operating normally. And when God says, I've got something more for you, we might say, I'm not ready for that. I'm okay with what I've got. I don't want to move. Yeah, I might actually be bound by it. The things that I do, the way I spend my time, my money, my thoughts, my heart. Yeah, I'm kind of in bondage to those things, but I like them. Leave me my guilty pleasures. And if God says, I'm going to rip you out of that comfort zone and throw you into the wilderness, we, like they, might say, no thank you. But what if on the other side of the wilderness is the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey where we're no longer slaves, either to our comforts or our addictions, or our fears, or our sins, or the world around us. So God's deliverance there is actually by people's faith. And it's a deliverance, it's a scattering out of slavery, but it's also a scattering, a freeing from the things that bound them. And that's a beautiful thing. May we be willing to let God tear us out of our togetherness and complacency and bondage to be wanderers in a wilderness, following the Spirit of God, seeing miracles day by day, and walking towards the promised land. I think there's just beautiful parallels there for us to glean from this writing. So that's the second scattering, uh, scattering as deliverance. The first, scattering as exile. The second, scattering as deliverance. The third one, sorry, the first one, scattering as banishment. The second one, scattering as deliverance. The third one, scattering as exile. So now you have them go through the wilderness, they get to the promised land, God delivers them, gives them the land flown with milk and honey with grapevines and cities and all this stuff, and they're there and they're happy, but eventually they just start to want to do things their own way on their own strength. They think that they earned this nation instead of the fact that it was a gift from God. And so they turn away from God, they worship other idols. And so he prophesies to them through the prophets, and then he fulfills this, and he scatters them. He has them overthrown by the Assyrian army and the Babylonian army, first Israel and then Judah. And um, so the people of God are scattered out from this place that he gave them as a consequence. But it's not a cutting off from God's presence. Actually, it just created all these little pockets of God's people all around the world. They call it the exile. The interesting thing that happened here is in those moments where the, the people of God couldn't come together in Jerusalem and worship all together in the temple and do their sacrifices and their gifts and offerings and all those things, the home became the central place of worship, of spiritual growth, of service, of testimony to the world, and you know, outreach, uh, evangelism, witness, that sort of thing. It became the central place for discipleship, for training children, for praise. Like the home became the center of worship instead of the temple in Israel. 
I wonder if that's happening for us in some ways. And praise God if our homes could become centers of worship instead of relying so much upon that temple. So the parallels there, I think, are significant as well. Let's read the prophecy that God gives to Jeremiah. And uh, it's Jeremiah 32. <clears throat> he prophesies both the overthrow, but also the eventual restoration. And that was part of this exile. It's not banishment. It's, this is a consequence. You want to do it on your own strength, but you're not strong enough. Rely on me. Trust me, God says, and I'll get you through anything. Um, so... The consequence is not permanent. It's meant to be a temporary season of feeling the weight of our weakness and our need for God so that repentance will follow that, so we'll draw close to God, so he can restore to show that it was him all along. Uh, so we see both of those in Jeremiah 32, 26. That's the place to start. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal, and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods, <clears throat> to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth, the children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. Their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built up the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters in sacrifice to Moloch, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. <clears throat> But thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword and by famine and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they might not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. So you see, this scattering of the people of God together was a punishment, was a consequence of their denial, their rejection of God. But it wasn't a separation. It was a consequence so that they might learn. And God knows that he will provide a way back. He's with them through the exile. And as their homes become the centers of worship, they're looking with expectancy that this part of the prophecy would come true. They will one day get back. Maybe 
That's how we can live during this time of separation. Maybe our homes can be places and centers of worship and of witness, mission, and ministry. And we look forward to the time where we can return. Whether this is a consequence on our nation, only God knows the details. But I think the lesson we can learn is how the Israelites lived their lives in exile. Think of people like Daniel, who bowed down to pray three times a day in his window in this foreign land. And people looked in and saw him through the window. He was persecuted for it, but God blessed him because of it. Will we have that kind of witness that our homes are praying homes? Or think of Esther, <clears throat> a uh, woman who through her beauty is brought into the, the king's court to become the queen. And through that position of influence, she's able to pray for God's people, have an audience with the ruler, and be part of God's deliverance for them. She lived for God in her place in exile. I think this is the lesson we can take from this scattering and try to apply to ourselves. And like I said, there's a fourth one that came to mind, and that's Jesus. Jesus has his apostles all together. Why not just stay together forever? Well, that is ultimately the plan, but the interim plan was for them to go out and not just to keep their Jesus club together, not just to keep the band together, but to spread good news, the gospel. So Jesus doesn't keep the 12 and then the 11 together. He sends them out. So this scattering is obviously not one because of sin. So that's not like uh, the banishment from Eden. It's not like the exile. It's not because of sin. And it's not even just because of faith, like the exile, the scattering of, of deliverance out of Egypt. It's not, not just by faith. It's actually by calling. They were called with different gifts to go to different countries, to go to different cities, to live out the gospel, to raise the dead, to preach the good news, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, to heal, to uh, do good in Christ's name so that people would give glory to God. So this is a scattering for purpose with each one having a calling in that. Go, do good. So I think the, the first chapter in Acts gives us a great place to, to hear how this worked for them. And again, try to apply this to our situation to learn what we can uh, from it. <clears throat> so that uh, through the reading of this scripture, we might gain endurance, and we might gain encouragement, and we might have hope. So Acts chapter 1. This is the second writing by Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and then Acts. Those are two parts. And so the author is, author Luke is writing to this uh, Theophilus describing Jesus' life and then the aftermath, the disciples' lives and the birth of the church. So Acts 1 1. In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they go on to lead these miraculous lives, baptized by the Holy Spirit and living in power. It's why we have faith today in Christ, because of the mission that they were sent on. But I love the lesson we can learn right there from the angels who saw them. Like, why are you still standing here looking up into heaven? Like, he didn't mean for you to see him live and die and rise again so that once he's gone, you could just stand there looking up into heaven, waiting for him to come back. Go on the mission that he told you to go on. He gave you orders. <laughs> he's the Lord. Like, go and do, go and be, go and thrive, spread this gospel. So isn't that the lesson for us as Christians? Sometimes you stand there like looking off into heaven, waiting for Jesus to do something. He's like, but I'm sending you out. Go. Be the people who I have redeemed you to become, who I'm making you into, who you were created to be. You know, God's workmanship created for good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. So the first lesson is just, we can just be gazers, just stargazing. Wow, God, I, I love how your heaven is a place of perfection. And then not look around and try to bring some of that beauty and glory here. The world needs some glory. The world needs some healing. The world needs some love. So we're left here as God's people until we see him face to face. Let's bring some of the glory. Let's bring some of the healing, some of the love that we'll all experience fully when we pass into glory, when Christ returns. So that's the first lesson there. Um, the second one has to do with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to them, for now, your job is to wait. And then when I've given you the Holy Spirit, your job is to go. And so I think it's it, it bears recognizing that sometimes God's instructions are stop, stay, you know, sit, listen, be still and know that I'm God. And sometimes his instructions are go and serve and run and whatever. There's a time for each. So being called by God into mission doesn't necessarily mean that we're frantically running around doing stuff all the time. And it doesn't always mean that we're just waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something and just all we do is ever wait. It's, it's either or depending on where Jesus is calling us, which is why we rely on the Spirit to say, okay, Spirit, today is today a go is today a sit? This morning, do I meditate? This morning, do I serve? Are they different? Are they the same thing? These are the right kind of questions. But being on mission does not mean we go into a, a faith by works. It means that we're ready at any time to either sit and pray the night away, or we're ready to go and serve food to the homeless until we're exhausted and collapse in our bed when we get back home. Like, it either is fine, either is beautiful, but we're meant to live by God's Spirit. So we don't act before we get the Spirit. That's critical. The apostles didn't. They waited. But also sometimes there's a time to just sit and receive from God. But there's also a time to just go. And then they went. And they reconvened at times, but by and large, they were scattered. It was another sort of exile where homes became centers of worship. But it wasn't an exile for sin. It wasn't a consequence. It was a strategy have you ever thought about how these uh, places where Jesus says he's going to send them out are concentric circles radiating outward? That's intentional, and I want you to focus on it with me for a second. Acts 1, 8. After you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So that's the city where they were. So that's your town, your, your, your city, your town, where you live. And then I want you to be my witnesses in all of Judea. That's the region, you know, for us here, Bristol County, the south shore of Boston. That We're going to be witnesses here. 
Southeastern, then the South Shore, and then Samaria, that's the neighboring region. So, you know, the North Shore, Rhode Island, Connecticut, the next county over, the next town over, the places around us, and then the ends of the earth, so outward. And this is the progression that the disciples took. So we don't uh, neglect our neighbors as we seek to only save people in third world countries. We don't neglect, neglect our children or our spouses or our siblings or our parents in favor of the next door neighbors. We don't neglect ourselves for the sake of just everyone else. We start here receiving, living, basking in, being filled by the Holy Spirit, and then we move out to our family. Is our family spiritually healthy? Is our home a place of worship and song? Is our home a place where scripture is read and prayers are prayed, where gifts are made and distributed to those in need? Like That's what our homes need to be, is a place of love, a place of communication, a place of vulnerability and safety. Got to start there before we worry about the next door neighbors. And that was Jesus' strategy. There's plenty that our church can learn from these four scatterings. I hope you see that. It's been speaking to me more and more. I'm sure if you dig into these four passages, you'll find even many more things than came to light for me. But it's my prayer that Paul's hope from Romans 15, that everything that was written could be for our instruction, that we would learn from these. I think all of the writers of these things we read would be pleased to know that their writings were teaching people in the future what it was like to live with God in that time. I think God would be pleased to see us not just trying to come up with our own plan or figure things out on our own. We're not on our own. We're not apart from God. And if we can learn from these and be instructed, I think it will give us endurance and I think it will give us encouragement and I think it will give us hope. So that's my prayer for us for this week and for the season, that we would be uh, enduring joyfully, not bitterly, and that we would be encouraged, not fearful, not discouraged, uh, and that we would have hope, not fear. So may God bless you this week as you go out, as we live as the scattered church. May we not just pine for the days of the gathered church service or of the fellowship times. We miss them. And being scattered is far harder than being gathered. But that doesn't mean that God can't have purpose in the scatterings. And maybe many different purposes. All these scatterings were for different purposes with different results. May we lean into God and find his purpose for this scattering. And may we thrive in our homes and in the world, living on his mission. God bless you this week.